Good morning. This is Jim Colburn with Commodity Research Group. I'm here with Andy LeBeau, also of Commodity Research Group, and we're here to talk about energy markets. To learn more about us, you can check out our website, commodityresearchgroup.com, where we post our podcasts and blog. We'd like to thank our friends at EKT Interactive Oil and Gas Training for hosting this podcast. Check out their newsletters, podcasts, and learning modules at ektinteractive.com. This podcast should be construed as market commentary, merely observing economic, political, and market conditions, and is not intended to refer to or endorse any particular trading system, strategy, or recommendation. We are not responsible for trading decisions taken by anyone. Information is not guaranteed to be accurate. This is not an offer to buy or sell any derivative. It's December 8th. And today, we are delighted to have a special guest, Stephen Shork of the Shork Group. Stephen has 30 years experience in commodity markets. And when I, when I saw that in your CV, Stephen, I, I thought to myself that you're catching up with Andy LeBeau. Oh, man. <laughs> indeed, <laughs> indeed. Indeed. Also, I, I noticed you, you've done a wide range of things. You're modeling risk systems. Uh, you've worked in structured finance and commodities. And you were also a local on the floor. What, yes, I was. What, what years were, were you on the floor about? Uh, I was there from the late 90s uh, to the early 2000s. Uh, fortunately, I had just left the uh, floor a couple months before 9-11. So oh. therefore, uh, there but for the grace of God. Yes. Uh, and then we, uh, we launched our daily research project uh, shortly thereafter. So we've been in business now in these particular markets uh, for the past 16 years. Uh, Jim, as you and Andy, as you recall, I uh, began. I cut my teeth uh, with Glencore in the early 1990s as an analyst uh, for seven, eight years with them. So it's been quite a ride. Quite a ride, and and lots of experience. And you're also a, a star of stage and screen. You've been on the, all the uh, important TV shows. You're quoted in business journals and everything. And and so uh, welcome, Stephen, and hello, Andy. Yeah, great, great to be here. So our first, yeah. let's, let's get right to it. Oh, first of all, um, before we begin, why don't you tell people how they can get in touch with you um, outside of this podcast? Yeah, absolutely. Our core report is the Daily Shork Report, that's S-C-H-O-R-K, uh, which highlights key metrics of import for the energies traded on the NYMEX and the ICE. Uh, we also have a weekly power NAT gas report, which provides price range forecasting for regional uh, pricing points, and we provide advisory services for hedging programs specific to the industry's needs. To request a complimentary trial, you can email us at contact at Shork Report. Again, that is S-C-H-O-R-K. Uh, it's actually contact at shorkgroup.com, or you can call us at 610-225-0171. Beautiful. Thank you for that. And let's get right into this. We, we uh, are delighted because Andy and I don't uh, spend a lot of time on natural gas, and that's what we're dedicating uh, today's uh, podcast to. So my first question for you is, what in the heck's going on in natural gas? Uh, absolutely. Uh, natural gas is in the midst of a just a perennial bear market. It is a situation where we, quite frankly, just have too much supply, not enough demand. We have to keep in mind that natural gas is a very seasonal market, uh, attracts a lot of uh, speculation in this market. So we tend to get uh, very outsized swings in volatility. 
So we had a very bearish summer. I mean, I don't think we uh, have to really go into that with regard to the demand destruction from all the uh, COVID-19 mitigation uh, protocols. Uh, we did start to see a rebound in demand, and we did have a, a nice little rally at the end of the summer, early fall. Uh, this is a false rally. Uh, natural gas, in my 30 years of trading it, is a very peculiar market. That is to say that it has a tendency to rally when uh, we're in the shoulder months, so when uh, weather-driven demand is at its most neutral. Uh, then when we get into the winter, uh, we tend to see prices fall off, and we tend to see a bear market through the winter, all the way through the end of the winter. And oddly enough, when we get into late March, early April, i.e. the, uh, the end of uh, winter into the spring, that's when we rally again. And we typically rally right until we get to the dog days of summer. Everyone's flipping on their ACs. We're burning lots of natural gas to keep those ACs going. And then markets tank. So it's a market that zigs when everyone expects it to zag. And uh, we zigged uh, a few weeks ago, but we're in the midst now. We've had our pre-winter rally and fundamentals are taking over. Reality is taking over. And quite frankly, guys, we just don't have enough demand relative to supply. And that is quickly being repriced into the market. So um, the price has gone from around 340 late October to what around 240 now. That's a that's yeah. a heck that's a heck of a zag. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And uh, and as we know, uh, we anyone who's been out around these markets, that is very typical of natural gas. Uh, going back to uh, the good old days when Enron was hijacking the California power market in the early 2000s. Uh, the destruction we saw during 2005 with that Atlantic Basin hurricane season, uh, with a couple of notable hedge fund implosions here and there. This is a market that is extremely scary market. Uh, now, I don't like to make this uh, comparison. Well, I, I make this comparison lightly because I do have a child in the military, but trading natural gas is almost akin to combat. And that is to say, now, I've never been in combat, but uh, all the movies I've ever watched, it's, you're kind of sitting around in your foxhole, uh, nothing's going on, you're playing cards, things are, are kind of boring, you get complacent, and then boom, that mortar hits, and then all heck breaks loose. And that is natural gas. It's a market that lulls you into this false sense of security. Uh, people, we're all humans, we like to trade, keep it very simple, we like to trade in ranges. Buy $3 gas, sell $3.50 gas, rinse and repeat. And we continue to do and trade and fade those ranges. until, And you do it until it stops working. And when it stops working, that's when the dam bursts. And quite frankly, that's where we are now, that we were trading in that high $2, low $3 range, buy, sell, buy, sell. And then fundamentals are now taking over. And we've made that uh, next tranche lower, as you said from a 320 range down to a sub $2.50 range. Stephen, talking, let's get into the fundamentals a, a little bit. First, on the production side, it seems that uh, product, these, some of these production numbers are coming in uh, somewhat higher than, than forecast. Is, is there a reason for that? I mean, is it, was it a price response or... Um, you know, is it a response to what's going on in, in on the crude market? 
Uh, yeah, I, I think to, to that latter point, uh, certainly when it comes to uh, associated production, and that has been the bane of the existence of natural gas bulls, right. uh, and that is the ancillary gas that comes up with all that crude production uh, we see down in the Permian. And in fact, when we look at, if we look at the last drilling productivity report uh, and the forecast going through into the end of this year, when we look at uh, production, certainly production, crude oil production in the Permian is falling over, over the last uh, 12 months. It's been falling at about uh, 74 hundredths of a percent per month. But oddly enough, natural gas production in the Permian has been growing by 15 hundredths of a percent uh, each month. And in fact, when we look at the uh, seven major shale uh, plays, Anadarko, Appalachia, Bakken, Eagleford, Hainsford, Niobrara, and Permian, Permian over the last 12 months is the only shale play with natural gas where it's been increasing over the past 12 months. So, so clearly, we, we, we're still getting that, that uh, production uh, where we don't want it because to add insult to injury, we're producing all this gas in the Permian. We don't even have a natural gas rig employed in the Permian. So this is all that extra gas that's coming up with that crude oil production. And uh, so regardless of the yeoman's effort that's been made by the industry here in my home state of Pennsylvania to pull back production, uh, it's still remaining much too high for the current demand fundamentals. Stephen, is is that due to better uh, collection? I mean, less maybe less flaring or a better takeaway capacity. What's why why is that increasing in the Permian? It, it is increasing with, with with to your point. Now we we just came out uh, twenty nineteen. What was uh, we flared more gas uh, in that area than ever before? Not surprisingly, given how strong that production is. But we're seeing uh, increase to your point, uh, greater capacity. There's a significant amount of gas, pipeline gas, now flowing into Mexico. Uh, we've seen a large build-out in takeaway capacity uh, in pipes going down to the utilities in, what is that? That's northeast Mexico. Uh, so we've, we've had a nice rebound in or, or increase in demand there. And then, of course, the big story is uh, LNG. And certainly, we, we took our lumps. Uh, back in the late spring, again, related to COVID, but LNG uh, demand has come surging back. And really, that is what the natural gas bulls are really pinning their hopes on, because we're really looking at a market here in North America that, that does remain uh, glutted, but there are indications that we do have strong demand in Asia and in uh, and Europe that will help deglut the market uh, by the time we get through the end of this winter. Uh, how much ex how much extra export capacity can we get out for uh, LNG? Uh, yeah, right now, if if we look uh, through uh, through the end of the summer uh, with uh, with import, excuse me, with uh, LNG exports, uh, we're expecting uh, right here, and that is when I say we, we're talking about uh, the EIA. Uh, we're looking at net uh, exports to grow. Uh, on average, 13% uh, per month between uh, August of this year and uh, March of next year. So effectively, what that means is we're, we're going to be growing uh, in August from about 3.6 BCF a day, mm -hmm. uh, upwards of uh, 8.6 BCF a day. And when we look to the end of next year, 
uh, we're looking at a significant growth all in all of 6.7% per month. So by December of 21, uh, we're looking at capacity at over 10 BCF a day. Now, when you add that to, uh, you net that out against LNG imports, and then you take the net of imports with pipeline, we're looking at a significant growth in overall export capacity. So uh, we're, we're, we're only at, at currently, we're only about a third of the way there. So we have a significant amount of growth in demand. Uh, and this is really what the market, or, or when, when you talk to the bulls in this market, this is really kind of the story they're telling you. Uh, that is to say, the rebound in demand, uh, mainly driven by LNG. Eventually, we get a rebound in demand here in the U.S., uh, both commercial and industrial demand. And, and I am really skeptical of that, but don't tell the bulls that. Uh, and that's the story they're painting that, you know, the, the kind of the de minimis pullback in production we've seen is not going to be able to keep pace with, with all this expected demand. Can you, can you talk to us about the international, uh, is, it, is, is there a traded international price for natural gas and what does that, what does that look like? Yeah, you, yes. Like a forward yeah, market, a forward market, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we have a liquid forward market on the Japan-Korea marker, which is traded on the NYMEX. Uh, and that uh, you can uh, get reliable quotes uh, for three months out. So we've seen in that marker, and we'll just, that's the JKM marker. And we've had significant growth, uh, a very nice rally in that market. Uh, we also have a very liquid market in the Dutch tidal transfer uh, market that facility, that's the TTF market, and that's a good benchmark for pricing going into Europe. So when we look at uh, both of those markets on through the end of this winter, uh, certainly, and this was the indication going into the winter, and now we're looking at the spreads relative to the end of the winter. When we look at the basis, that is to say the TTF or the European marker, it's premium to the Henry Hub. And, and also the JKM, the Asian premium to uh, the Henry Hub, uh, those, those values, uh, those premiums to the hub have doubled uh, since the start of the winter. And, and this is where, where the bulls are, are really leaning on saying, yes, you know, the, the, the netbacks are there. That is to say the economics to move gas out of the Gulf Coast are there to get it through the Panama Canal, get it over to Asia. Uh, get it around uh, the panhandle of uh, the tip of Florida and get it into a North Europe. So the economics are there indicating you know, very strong demand. And we have to keep in mind, spreads always lead the way. So when we look at the international spreads relative to the Henry Hub contract, very bullish. Conversely, when we look at the spreads on the Henry Hub itself, they tell a much different story. And that is an extremely bearish story. Well, certainly we've seen the contango in uh, in Jan Feb natural widen and and uh, the the March April has uh, it looks like it's moving to flat maybe maybe you know that might move into contango. Yes, yes, uh, so, and and you know, yes, I'm sorry, uh, Stephen. I was just going to say, and Andy's uh, idea of a widowmaker trade is has always been the heat to gas, heating oil to gasoline. <laughs> right. My my. <laughs> Mine is the uh, option players that uh, sell options month in, month out, sell strangles, and, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's doomed to blow up. And um, I guess we're, we, he just mentioned the uh, March-April widow maker for 
natural gas traders? Yes, that that is if you're trading when, when you start trading the the March April uh, nat gas uh, tr uh, spread, uh, you know you're now playing the varsity uh, on that level. <laughs> that, that, yeah. I I actually met a woman that lost a lot of money on March April, so we can update it to be the widower maker as well. Yes, absolutely. This is uh, this is the infamous spread that uh, turned a nine billion dollar nat gas hedge fund in Greenwich, Connecticut, into a three billion dollar hedge fund uh, in about two and a half weeks' time. Yeah. Uh, it's also a spread that turned a one hundred fifty million dollar spread uh, fund a couple of couple of years ago into a uh, zero uh, gas fund. <laughs> so, uh, so quite frank, yeah, th this yeah. this is a spread. Uh, that uh, can make your head spin. And, yeah. and right now, with what we're seeing, it, it's telling us a very bearish story. Yeah, and it does it, it, does it on both sides, right? I mean, yeah, way, absolutely. Now, and, and, and recently, right now, it's, it's gone sharply lower. Yeah, I, I, I actually, I, 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 I did the double-double uh, 10 years ago with this spread. I lost on the spread on both sides of the spread. So uh, that takes talent. Wow. <laughs> uh, I'm sure you're not alone in doing that, Stephen. Yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. I'm in good company. Yes. So I want to ask you, um, just shifting gears a little bit, um, and talk somewhat, somewhat about uh, the new administration coming in, and um, how you see uh, the Biden administration's view towards uh, natural gas, you know, relative to the current administration or relative to the, the Obama administration or, or, you know, what, what your feelers are on, on that, on, um, you know, on that, on those issues. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely have my, I'm, I'm holding my breath uh, right now. Uh, and quite frankly, I, I, I am concerned. It's a very confused message that, uh, that we received over the past year from, uh, from the, from the Biden camp. When we go back and look at the DNC platform uh, in 2012, so for Obama's second term, Obama, that administration, that platform uh, was all in on natural gas. I, I invite anyone, you know, everyone to go to the DNC website uh, and to the archives and, and read uh, their energy policy. But it was all about promoting natural gas. Natural gas, it was seen correctly so that uh, given that U.S. industry has the cheapest uh, source of energy anywhere around the world, uh, we have unparalleled, our, our companies have unparalleled comparative advantage, uh, something that China greatly envies. And the Obama administration uh, recognized this and really wanted to uh, exploit this. It goes without saying that the Trump administration, of course, was all in uh, on hydrocarbons. Uh, but now uh, we go and we read the 2020 uh, Democratic uh, DNC official platform. And oddly enough, and I, and I do think this is a little kind of, you know, playing around with the words because uh, anyone outside of the industry probably doesn't equate natural gas is, is really the other name for natural gas is what? Methane. So the, uh, you know, the DNC platform is all about methane containment and how we're going to control all this. And, and when we look at uh, the rhetoric and, and look, I have a daughter that lives uh, that, that used to live in Brookline, Massachusetts. Uh, they passed an ordinance, new construction cannot have natural gas hookups. You have the same situation in Berkeley, California. 
So uh, it really is a, a we're really playing playing with with fire here at this point. So it's hard for me to imagine uh, we, we take such a negative turn, given how important natural gas is. Uh, but the biggest concern is not, oh, my goodness, Joe Biden's in office. He's going to outlaw the use of natural gas. Well, that can't happen. I mean, he is going to ban drilling on federal lands. That's in the DNC platform. Right, right. But the, the, the bulk of it is in private, uh, land, uh, in private hands. So really, that's a constitutional issue. You're not going to be able to ban that gas. But what you are going to do is you are going to violate the bedrock of capitalism, and that is capital flows to where it is welcomed and stays where it is most uh, where it's treated well. And the signals, regardless uh, of, of what side of the political aisle you sit on, the signals are clearly that investment in the hydrocarbon is not welcomed and will not be well treated. So looking ahead for the next four years, we're looking at, I believe, as this, as this money spigot into the industry is turned off, I would expect to see a tremendous amount of volatility in the years ahead. It's, it's interesting. I, I think, uh, was it Warren Buffett just bought a midstream yep. company? And maybe, I mean, you think their analysis was that uh, we're just not going to get pipelines built going forward and uh, therefore pipelines, existing pipelines will increase in value? Yes, absolutely. When we, when we look at and and kind of the transition we've been over the past twenty years, of course, uh, when I was a for for instance, twenty years ago when I was a buyer for for a utility in the Mid Atlantic, we ran peaking generation units, and we, we had an inventory of coal, of of two oil, uh, of uh, natural gas, of course, and uh, we would run our units based on whatever our cheapest BTU is, and we bid our power into the PJM. So what I'm getting at is we had diversity. We had BTU diversity. Uh, that BTU diversity is no longer there. Uh, you can't burn coal, or at least in the plants we had, you can't burn coal. Of course, you're not burning oil. And so you're burning only one thing, and that is natural gas. So as we deplete our diversity in this area, as we continue uh, with the rampant pace of uh, the retirements of coal plants, and I imagine that's going to you know, accelerate over the next couple of years, and when we look at the number of generation of, of nuclear generation that we're taking out of the stack, uh, we really can only replace it with natural gas. Now, guys, don't tell me that we've got renewables because renewables is nothing but another name for natural gas. So renewables, solar, wind, it does work in certain uh, market areas, West Texas, Southern California, so forth. But in the greater scheme of things, California is still your largest net importer of electricity. Massachusetts is still a huge importer of electricity. New York State, a huge importer of electricity. What am I getting at? The states that are, are, are most up against natural gas are your biggest consumers of out-of-state or international forms of, of, of power. So when we begin to kind of play around with that, I, you know, I'm not going to argue against Warren Buffett. Uh, I'm happy he's making these investments into, the, into, the, uh, into this infrastructure. But yes, we're going to see a number of these pipeline projects that are already uh, on, the, on the board probably scrapped. And we're going to be looking at a deficit of capacity to move the gas. And uh, from where it's being produced to where it's needed. So clearly, I think that goes back and, and supports my, my concern about future volatility in this market. Oh, man, the basis volatility could be out of control. Oh, abso absolutely. Uh, when we're looking at 
the differentials of in uh, all the capacity. I mean, we just in, are in the process of deglutting Pennsylvania, but all that did was move all that gas into Ohio. Uh, and that was gas that was supposed to flow up to Canada, but the Canadians uh, took exception with that. So, so, so uh, because their industry in Alberta uh, was getting decimated. So we have a lot of trapped gas. Uh, we don't have the capacity or we have limited capacity. So to your point, Andy, absolutely. Uh, you're going to see a number of basis blowouts. So if you're a trader, buckle up because this, this should be a fun couple of years for you. And do options trade on those um, spreads? Uh, yeah, well, uh, options, I mean, th these are more over-the-counter spreads. You know, I would leave that. Uh, I mean, of course, we have a robust uh, options market, as uh, we, we know, on the NYMEX. And, and certainly uh, with what we're seeing uh, in, and just in the increased of vol uh, just the past couple of, of weeks alone, Again, as we referenced before, with, with that March-April spread sinking now into Contango, and um, or you know, excuse me, Jan Feb sinking into Contango, uh, Feb March inching towards that, and I think uh, the uh, cross seasonal March-April uh, finished yesterday uh, on Tuesday of this week at uh, just a two cent backwardation. That is going to slip in. So uh, yeah, I would. Uh, there is, I certainly on the NYMEX a robust. Uh, options market, and and certainly we've been seeing an increase in open interest uh, back in the, in the curve because we're we're looking at guys a market now where to just the the spike in volatility we've seen in the summer 21 strip against next winter the 21 22 strip uh, that uh, yeah that that uh, contango the discount of summer to uh, winter just in the last two weeks alone has been growing at about a half a percent per session uh, trading now. That is the summer trading at about a 29 cent discount. So clearly we're seeing a lot of hedging opportunity, a lot of, a lot of specula speculative trading uh, moving in and taking advantage of these uh, wide swings. Mm. I was thinking if you, if you had access to uh, one of those uh, pipelines, that's like owning an option, you know? Yeah. Right. Yep. So, so yeah, no, it's, it's embedded. A, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And fortunately, at the short group, I have a number of pipeline, uh, you know, because, you know, quite frankly, I was a little bit nervous uh, when we were looking at uh, negative, $20, negative uh, crude oil and, and sub $2 gas. But uh, my, my pipeline uh, clients have, have been doing quite well. So uh, I'm, I'm sleeping better at night uh, today than I was, say, six months ago. Very good. Stephen, let, let's talk a little bit about hedging strategies. I know you do a lot with uh, making hedge recommendations, and we're not asking you really for a price forecast. But you know, with the market here at 240, uh, you know, what what are some of the things that you you've been saying to your uh, to your clients, or what would you recommend a producer do, or what would you recommend a consumer do here here at, at these levels? Yeah, you really have to, Andy, be uh, re really uh, dynamic uh, at picking your spots uh, in the market. So uh, what we do is uh, here at Shork is we take a, a probabilistic view uh, of the market. Uh, we have to keep in mind that, that, that there is a value, there is an economic value that we could assign to any, uh, to any commodity. That is to say, we know the cost of exploration, we know the cost of production, processing, so forth, and we take all those costs, we factor in a margin, and uh, certainly we can uh, come up with, with the value 
of any uh, market. But we have to take into mind that um, you know, taking fundamentals into consideration, uh, we also have to use this quantitative model. And, and that, this is Monte Carlo, ARIMA, statistical measurements of volatility to come up with a, with a range of prices. Uh, commodity markets are so highly leveraged and volatile uh, that we have to work off the assumption uh, that technical analysis uh, is also used uh, in, in a wide range uh, you know, specific to our markets. So you know, the key takeaway, and, and I'm a believer in the efficient market theory, but there's a lag uh, with information getting to the market. So the key takeaway here is that we believe there's a gradual flow of information to the market. And in return, uh, the pattern of price adjustments involves in this gradual movement uh, to a new equilibrium in price as, as the fundamental information is digested in the market. So uh, that said, during you know, the, these price adjustment periods, you, you know, we can really uh, you know, you know, measure the market. The market has kind of given us an indication of, of where we're going. So employing a number of having that fundamental understanding of real values, quote unquote, should be, but should is the most useless helping verb <laughs> right. in the trader's lexicon. And so what we do is we, we, we do uh, take these measurements and we come up with that range. So Andy, to, yeah, that was a long-winded way of, of, of answering your question. But essentially what we're looking at is you know, we're looking at analogs of, of past price performance. And, and there's two ways you can do this with measuring volatility. You can measure it in the implied volatility. And that, of course, is nothing but the market's guess of what future volatility is going to be. And, and we can extract that implied volatility uh, from the Black-Scholes market reverse uh, uh, model and reverse engineer it. And we can kind of get what the model is estimating volatility will be. Uh, I don't like doing that. I'm a more conservative guy. I, I prefer to look at statistical volatility or historical volatility. It gives me a much larger breadth of how wide the market could actually go. Uh, and for my hedging clients, uh, I think that is uh, that leads to less whipsaws, less nasty uh, surprises. So we do come up with a wide arc of, uh, of uh, price range forecasts, again, assuming that there's a normal distribution in returns. And so effectively, what I'm getting at is if, if I've got a client a, a, uh, that has that, yeah, a, a heavy end user, steel mill, aluminum smelter, so forth, when we are on the bottom arc, uh, that is to say 30th, 20th, 10th percentile of my price range, uh, going for a given time series, then I'm all in for locking in. And, and conversely, for my producer clients, when you get into that, those upper quartiles, 75th, 80, 90th percentile of the price range for a given time series, then I have you locking in. So to your point, Andy, uh, just kind of looking at, uh, you know, we're at uh, $2 and, you know, right around $2.40 in the spot market, Henry Hub on the NYMEX uh, right now. For my monthly outlook, uh, we are my monthly outlook, and that would be uh, on this particular outlook that I've got up, that is a two standard deviation arc. So uh, that comes down to right around $2.40, uh, give or take a couple of pennies. So what we're saying here is, or what I'm saying here is uh, 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 second standard deviation, 19 out of every 20 months, I expect natural gas is going to hold at or around $2.40 when the month ends. And of course, if it's that one month uh, out of the 20 where it doesn't hold, then we look at the arc of our model 
to the third standard deviation in this case, and that's going to get us down to natural gas at around $2.20. So that's saying 370 out of every 371 months, I expect natural gas to hold in that 220 range. So if you're hedging, and this is just an example on the spot market, guys, but if you're hedging and you, and you, you need to own gas, then $2.40 at the 95th percentile uh, excuse me, 95th, um, 95th um, confidence interval, the second standard deviation, and 220, which is the third standard, de uh, uh, standard deviation. I like buying, from a hedging standpoint, I like locking in gas at, the, at these levels, guys. Okay. And then it, it becomes, I mean, do you fine tune that by what percent? And, and you know, it's, it's, it, it, we, we dealt with airlines earlier in the year, and actually I talked to a, a country um, that was looking at locking in prices for 2021 a week before we went to minus 40. So prices had come okay. down and they were looking at locking in next year. Unfortunately, next year's prices didn't come down as much. I mean, yes. do, you have, do you have that same issue uh, with, with your hedgers? It's not just what today's price is, is what's going on in the month that they want to hedge. <laughs> Yeah, well, well, just as an aside, I, 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 I cannot stand the airline industry. Every, every time I have to fly and I can't even fit into, into my seat in, co in coach, and, and why I can't stand it, guys, because as we know, in 2008, when uh, crude oil prices were upwards of $150 a barrel, jet fuel prices were soaring, and then in six months, by, you know, that was in June of 2005, of, of and then when we get, uh, of, excuse me, of 08, and then by the end of 08, uh, crude oil prices are at $30 a barrel. And of course, jet fuel prices are, you know, had cratered. So I do a, a, a talk to the airline industry at, at, at Platts Aviation Week down in Miami. And I, I do my presentation, you know, now that we've had this crash and you know, I want the airlines to buy as much jet fuel as possible. First answer I get, I won't name the airline, but uh, with, and this is when oil was at $30 a barrel and said, Shork, why do I need to hedge? Oil prices are back to where they belong. And mm -hmm. I, I want to strangle the guy because yeah. I mean, it's a, no one was hedging. And, and now I'm sitting and I've got, you know, three inches between my nose and the seat in front of me in coach. So, uh, yeah, that, yeah. That, that's, that's a sore topic for me. But to answer your question with regard to the back end of the curve, uh, hedgers are, are very, and, and this is for you traders out there. Uh, this is a bit of an information because the hedgers are, are reticent to lock in longer term out because they're looking at what's happening uh, in the forward curve. That they're, they're looking at uh, winter 21 gas uh, that was trading at a 52-week high uh, just a couple of weeks ago, ha has cratered by 50 cents a decatherm. Same for uh, winter 21-22. So a lot of uh, hedgers are, are just, going, uh, just going to index and not locking in on the assumption that cheap natural gas prices are here to stay. And look, it's hard for me to argue against, against them because I, I, I'm not buying into this bullish thesis for 21 uh, gas. So I, so I really cannot say, look, guys, you I mean, I'm, I'm saying it from a mathematical standpoint, from a statistics standpoint. Then when we look at volatility, we're, we're really kind of like, you know, I, I always use the analogy of a rubber band. You know, you put a rubber band in between your hands, palms facing one another. And as you move your palms away from another, that that rubber ba band begins to stretch. And, and at that point, it, it gets to an inflection point. Either that rubber band's going to snap or, mo or most of the time, that rubber band's going to regress and pull your palms back together. 
Well, our hands right now in natural gas out on the curve are pretty far apart. So I'm betting on that we are going to get a regression. So I'm trying to get my hedgers to, uh, to lock in as that rubber band is stretched uh, because they really are, they're taking the gamble. You know, what's the gamble? The, their gamble is at $2.40 gas that they could be buying $2.20 gas or even, let's say, even $2 gas. So that's a 40 cent implied P&L right there. But on the opposite end, we know we can go to $3, $3.50, $4 just as easily. So you're taking, a, you're taking a 60, 80, $1 risk to potentially gain 20, 40 cents. That's not good poker. So, uh, but you know, we, we are humans. We, we tend to live in the moment. And at the moment, it's a bearish scenario. So hedgers are reluctant to hedge. And you know, again, if you're, you're a trader, that, that's probably uh, music to your ears. Yeah, I mean, the other piece of that is a lot of these end users don't know what the demand for their product's going to be out one month, let alone six months. So, you know, yeah. you, you just don't know when airlines are coming back. You don't know when, how much steel is going to be demanded, et cetera, et cetera. So that's a- Yeah, absolutely. It, it's, it's difficult. And then if, if your whole industry decides not to hedge, you're also competing against other folks in your industry. And if, if none of your pals are hedging, it kind of, you're all in the same boat. So yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. It's like an opportunistic hedge right now. And it makes a lot of sense. I can also see the side that, you know what, especially, especially airlines where they messed up. So like, can you imagine mm -hmm. hedging your international jet fuel using WTI when it, when right. it, and then goes minus 20 bucks versus Brent. And, and so, you know, they had a lot of bad, <laughs> bad experiences in the, in the, since 2000. And, and uh, um, there's still, still some aftertaste, I think, for against, against hedging. But your, your, points, yeah. are well, your points are well taken. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's an art. It's not a, it's not a science. But, uh, yeah, absolutely. And, but, and look, I strive to live in precedent at times at, at some point in the future, and that's just not where we're, we're at right now. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it is. Uh, you have to pick. You have to be, you have to be flexible. And, and this is why we do prefer to, to, you know, to rely on uh, kind of on, on, on the problem, you know, on play the probabilities. And uh, because you just don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'll exactly. just as a as a story on that Friday night, I, I get a phone call uh, the Friday night uh, before, you know, that Monday when, when all heck broke loose and, you know, we ended up uh, going to zero, uh, below zero the next week. I get a phone call from uh, a hedge fund client uh, based down in the islands. And he said, sure, I just talked to somebody at the Nomics and they're, they're, they're going to allow negative puts. I yeah. had to ask him to explain what an, I couldn't, I couldn't put yeah. it together. Yeah. What is a negative put? And, and I, I just, it, it bamboozled me. And, uh, and, and sure enough, it's wow. uh, not, not that we can go there again, but look, we have basis markets, West Texas, where natural gas, you know, natural gas trading negative in West Texas or, or up in Alberta is, is nothing new. It ha it's happened before. It's it, so it can happen again. So once again, yeah. buckle up uh, f for a quite a ride. Well, that's a, I say uh, I've written uh, 20, 2020 is the year that we were offered $0 puts, which means somebody's willing to pay uh, for the right to sell something for nothing. Yeah, it's, it's, right. it's incredible. It's, it, it's inc I, I, I used to joke when people ask, sure, how, how low can prices go? I would say, well, we know they can't go below zero. Of course. Uh, and who, who knew I was wrong? Right. I mean, it was yeah. nuts. Good stuff.
All right. Well, I think we're um, right at the edge of time here. Stephen, you want to once again tell everybody where they can get a hold of you? Okay. I appreciate that, Andy. Yes. It's uh, at contact at shorkgroup.com. And, and again, uh, S-C-H-O-R-K-G-R-U-P.com. Uh, or just give us a call and that would be for a complimentary trial. And, and as we've highlighted, we do a number of modeling uh, for hedgers and for traders. Uh, I am a trader myself. Uh, or you can call the office here at 610-225-0171. So great having you on, as you as you mentioned, uh, we've known you. I guess it's thirty years now, Stephen. Yeah, uh, it's really been s such a pleasure to to have you on and talk about natural gas, which Jim and I never talk about really. <laughs> and uh, you know, our, the the title of our podcast is Energy Markets. So uh, I'm glad we finally got around to talking to talking about natural. And uh, you can reach us at commodityresearchgroup.com. You can get to me, A. LeBeau, at commodityresearchgroup.com. And, um, you know, again, Stephen, can't thank you enough for, uh, for coming on with us. No, I appreciate the opportunity. I look forward to the next time. Thanks, Stephen, very much. All righty. Cheers. Cheers.